Hey, welcome to Central Christian Church Online. Uh, my name is Tim. I get the honor of serving as lead pastor here at Central. And uh, we just want to say welcome. Welcome to Central. I want you to know up front, I uh, mean, the whole reason that we exist as a church is to introduce people to Jesus and uh, to help them follow him. And I also want you to know right up front, man, we, we are imperfect people in progress. And we're so thankful for you. And uh, wherever you're tuning in, man, we'd just love to connect with you. Uh, you can always text us at 408-944-5402. I would just love to get to know you and, um, and connect with you that way. Well, hey, before we get to the message, uh, man, a shout out to Michael and for, for everyone in the Central family that helped serve the city of San Jose this week. It was awesome to see the blood drive taking place on campus in partnership with the Red Cross. And for those of you who, are, who took part in that, man, you literally saved hundreds of lives this weekend. Uh, not only that, but on Friday and Saturday, uh, feeding the homeless and feeding the hurting here in our city through our mobile food pantry that, that you provided uh, through your financial generosity as we partnered uh, with City Team. And because of you, just what took place this week, not only hundreds of lives saved through the blood donation, but, but man, hundreds of, of people, households will be fed uh, through your generosity and investment of time. And isn't it just nice to know if you weren't able to participate in that, that you are part of a church that is making a tangible difference right here in the city that we love. And for that, man, I'm just, I'm just so honored to be a call central my, my home. Uh, well, hey, I also want to give a shout out to our elders. Thanks for allowing uh, my family to take some, some time off this summer and to catch our breath a little bit, reconnect uh, with, with my kids and, and our family. And I'm happy to report I, I, I love my kids. I'm still, still in love with my kids even after, after hanging out with them for, for, for a little while. So thanks to the elders for, for that, that little break. And also thanks to Richard and Michael and for Troy for the incredible messages that they shared for the past past few weeks. And, and this week we get the, the joy of jumping into week number nine of our series, Jesus Is. And this has been our theme verse throughout these summer weeks. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 2. And this is in the, the message paraphrase. This is Paul speaking. He says, you'll remember, friends, when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with, with polished speeches, with latest philosophies. But instead, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus, who he is. Then Jesus and what he did, and ultimately Jesus crucified. And we've been camping out on, on that thought of just who is Jesus and, and what does Jesus mean uh, it, through the scriptures? What does he tell us and what does he convey about, about himself? And primarily we've been camping out in the gospel of John. And there's four gospels in your Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And John, he gives us these, these claims that Jesus makes about himself. There's, there's actually eight claims in, in, in John's gospel where Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd. And we talked about that on Father's Day. And, and Richard talked about Jesus' claim that, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Michael unpacked how Jesus said, I am the light of of the world. And in a couple of weeks, uh, Benjamin Joseph, one of our, our high school graduates, is going to be unpacking how Jesus said, I am, I'm the vine. And then G Tiffany's going to talk about how Jesus made this claim that, that I'm the door, and he's the one who opens doors and closes doors, and, and what that means. And then uh, towards the end of this series, I'm going to talk about how Jesus is the lamb, and what, what does that even mean? And then the last week, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And that's where we anchor our hope in because Jesus is the resurrection. Like he is not dead. He is alive. And because he's alive, man, you can come alive in him. And I'm excited for that. 
that message already. But, but here's the shocking, perhaps the most shocking claim that Jesus made. It's kind of, it's the most ghastly claim. It's, it's the claim that ultimately got him executed. And Jesus made this claim that, claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be, to be God. Here it is in John chapter 10, uh, verses 30 through 33. Uh, Jesus said this, these are his words. He says, I and the Father are, were one. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, when you, when you see me, like you've seen God, like God, like I am God in the, in the flesh. When you see the way I love the broken, you see the way God loves the broken. When you see that way I interact with people, you see the way that God loves people. He's saying, I and like, I am God. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jewish, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to, to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from my father. For which of these do you stone me? And at this point in Jesus' ministry, like he's, he's done the miraculous. Like people who had this skin disease called leprosy and leprosy like eats, eats away at your flesh and they would be ostracized and, and outcast of society. People wouldn't go around them and they, the, their skin would literally like rot and, and appendages would have fallen off and, and it was this brutal way to die. But it, one leper encounters Jesus. In a moment, not only is his skin restored, but, but appendages reappear and he's, he touches the untouchable. He, he sees people who, who, are, who are dead. One religious leader, like these people would have known this story. He goes to Jesus in a moment of desperation, says, says Jesus, can you heal my son? He's, he's sick. And while Jesus is on his way, his son dies. And this religious leader waiting for this this deliverer, this Messiah, says, maybe you can help me. And Jesus, he heals his son and raises him up from the dead. Like Jesus is doing all these things. And he's saying, hey, like, for which of these good works are you ready to kill me? Because like, I'm just doing what only a God could do. And they, they respond in this way, says, we are not stoning you for any of your good works because they couldn't deny that. They couldn't deny the fact that their, their friend had his son raised up from the dead. They couldn't deny that people are being healed. They couldn't deny that, that demons are being cast. They can't deny the good works he's doing. But they said, but, but here's why we will kill you. But for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, you claim to be God. And Jesus did claim he did claim to be God. And in Matthew 26, we read where, where Jesus actually makes this final declaration. He's on trial. He's, he's before these religious leaders and he knows they're ready to, to execute him. And, and ultimately, here's what it says. The chief priests, they were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But he lived his life in such a way that there was no way that they could find a, a case against him. But they did not find anything against him. And then they said this, tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? Like Jesus, do you claim to be God? And here's what Jesus said. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And this fact that Jesus claimed to be God separates him from all other religious figures. In all the major religions of the world, it is the teaching, not the teacher, that is the most important, except when you come to Christianity. In Confucianism, it is a set of teachings, but Confucius is not the focus. 
in Islam. Islam is the re revelation of Allah with Muhammad being the prophet. In Buddhism, it emphasizes the principles of the Buddha, but not Buddha himself. This is especially true in Hinduism, where there is no historic founder. However, when you come to Christianity, it is the person of Jesus Christ who is the focus, not only his teachings. Jesus did not claim to be teaching mankind the truth. He made this audacious claim. He said, I am, I am the truth. And that's the second claim that I want to look at today that, that only God can make. Jesus claimed to be the only way. <laughs> only God can make a claim like that. And Richard, Richard did such a great job unpacking this three weeks ago. So if you missed that, that teaching, you can go back and, and watch that. You can find it on YouTube, on our website, or wherever you listen to, to podcasts, you can find it there. But here's the verse, here's the claim. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And as Richard so, so wonderfully stated that, that you might be okay with this. You might be okay with this claim that Jesus made. You might say, yeah, I think that's true. Perhaps some people in your household, they would disagree. Maybe some people where, where you work would say, that, that's ridiculous. Certainly people where we live in our city that, that we love and, and people that Jesus died for would say, I'm not too sure. I think I like Jesus. Like, I think he did some good stuff, but I'm not too sure about this. Like I realize he transformed the landscape of the world as we know it. I'm grateful for, for Christmas vacation. Thank you, Jesus, for a few extra days off. Like I, I understand that something Jesus did happened at Easter, but like I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure about Jesus being God. And acknowledging Jesus being God is, is a stretch for, for a lot of people. Or maybe some people would say cognitively I believe that, but their lifestyle says like Maybe he's a good teacher. Maybe he just gave us a, a principle or a framework to, to live by, but I'm not, sure. I'm not sure he's God and therefore the authority like, in my life. Well, there's this guy named C.S. Lewis, and he was a, a brilliant philosopher and a professor, and uh, he, he became a great uh, writer. And, and maybe you've seen the movie or read the books, The Chronicles of Narnia, but C.S. Lewis wrote those. But, but C.S. Lewis didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in God. Matter of fact, he, he was a philosopher who tried to disprove Christianity. And in the, the process and the study of disproving Christianity, he became a, a fully devoted follower of Christ. He's like, there's no way. That, that this is undeniable, like Jesus is God. And he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And so if you're, you, you like logical reasoning and, and kind of some, some more heady uh, thoughts on Christianity, then, then I would encourage you to pick up the book Mere Christianity. But in, in his work, Mere Christianity, he makes this statement about people who, who say Jesus is like a good teacher, but, but not necessarily God. He says this. He says, uh, and he's quoting people who make this statement, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. He says, you know, people who think that way, that, that's not open to us. He says this, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. Like the verses we just read, like he's like a good moral teacher wouldn't make those claims. He said, you must make the choice. Either he is a man, uh, either, he, either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with 
any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher, he has not left that open to us. He, he goes on in his book to say, basically, you have three options when it comes to Jesus. Like, like, and here's a good question. Who do you say Jesus is? Like, Jesus asked his followers that. Who, who do you say I am? And we're in this series, Jesus is, and maybe just a moment to pause in the message and say, who, who do you say Jesus is? Like, who is Jesus to you? And C.S. Lewis would make this claim that you basically have three options. You can say, say, say Jesus is either a liar because he, he said he was God, but he wasn't. Or you can say he's a lunatic because, like, let's be honest, we still have people today that are alive and well that, that claim to be God. And they currently live in padded rooms uh, because for, for good reason. Like, like people, either it's a kind of psycho, like a lunatic would say he's God and not really be be God. So he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he, he is who he said he was, and he is, he's the Lord. Like, he's, he is God, and so who, who do you say he is? That's a good question. Who, who is Jesus to you, and is he a liar, is he a lunatic, or is he, is he God? Uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, one of the, he's one of the principal founders of Harvard School of, of Law. He and another guy started Harvard Law School, and he's a brilliant man, Dr. Greenleaf, he's the most, he's most well-known for his work on, on evidence, and, and he wrote this book. It's considered to be the single greatest work, and he's the single greatest authority on the evaluation of evidence in a court of law. He wrote this book, a, a treatise on evidence, the law of evidence, um, and it's still, still considered the single greatest authority on, on that subject today. But Dr. Greenleaf, he went on this, this journey to disprove Christianity based on evidence that would hold up within a, a court of law. He was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was far from it, but just a brilliant mind. He thought, man, man, of all my study on evidence, I think if I could, could really disprove Christianity based on evidence that would hold up in a court of law, then that would really, really put my name on the map. And so this brilliant man went on this journey, and here's what he found at the end of that journey. And I quote Dr. Simon Greenleaf, professor of law at Harvard University, and he says this, According to the law of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Like, think about that. He set out to disprove the resurrection because honestly, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't take place, then Jesus is dead and so is our faith. But if Jesus is alive, then there's hope for you. There's hope for your situation. There's hope not only for this life, but also for the life to come. And because he's alive, I'm just telling you, there's hope. But that means that Jesus is God because only God can defeat death. All the other guys that claim to be God are, are dead. And so because he's alive, I just want you to know you can experience him. You can experience Jesus. You can experience who he is. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. Like I, there's historical evidence for like George Washington. And I love his leadership. I love studying his life. But I can't experience George Washington because George Washington's dead. But there, as Dr. Greenleaf stated, there's more historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than any other fact in history. And because he's alive, you can experience him today. And my hope for you, my, my hope for us as a church, is that we would experience these four things. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to write these down. And I'm going to ask you to pray these, not only for yourself, 
But pray these for our church. Pray this for our church as we embark on a new season. Four things. And number one is this. Because Jesus is God, because Jesus is alive, you can experience his power. You can experience his power today. And, and again, my prayer is that not only would you experience this, but you would pray this for, for other people. Uh, in, in John chapter 9, here's why experiences are so important. Because experiences, when we experience God's power, it anchors our faith. So when seasons come, when surroundings tell us every, everything's going wrong and you got every reason to doubt that God will come through, an experience of God's power will anchor you back into your faith. In, in John chapter 9, there's this guy who is blind, blind from birth. And in this day and age, they thought, man, this guy must have sinned or his parents must have sinned and that's why he's blind. But Jesus comes along and Jesus heals this man. And this guy who was blind can now see. And these religious leaders, they start questioning, questioning his parents. Well, what's going on? Like, like how did this happen? And he's like, like, hey, you know what? Like our son, he's of age. Because at this time, if you, if you went against uh, uh, the religious authority, they could throw you out from like the religious group, their temple. And that was a big cultural no-no. Like, like you would be an outcast at that point. So the parents punt it back to their son. And they're like, you know what? He's of age. Go talk to him. And that's where we pick it up. And and so verse 17 says, finally, they, they turn to the blind man. It says, what do you have to say about him? Like, who is Jesus? Like, tell us who he is. And he replied, whether the man's like a sinner or not, he's like, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I've experienced this power. I was blind. And now I can see. And listen, that's my hope for you that you would have the same testimony. When people come to you, what about carbon dating? What about this? What about that? You can say, you know, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I can tell you. He's changed my life. I've experienced his power and I'll never be the same. And I pray you experience his power because he's alive. You can encounter him today. It was in Acts chapter one, verse eight, that, that Jesus told us, you will experience his power. You can be not only experience his power, but you're going to be, a, as you, if you're a follower, you'll be a carrier of the power of God. He said this, he said, said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And these guys that he told this to, they were scared out of their mind. These ladies that were gathered, they're like, what's going to happen? Because this guy we've been following, this guy we've devoted our life to, now he's going away and he's like, yeah, you're going to experience power when something happens that I've never experienced before. Like, what's really taking place? And in a moment of desperation, they're gathered together in this, this room, calling out to God, praying, saying, God, you got to help us, desperately seeking him. And, and the Holy Spirit comes and a wave of wind comes and fire sits on their head and they start speaking in other tongues and speaking in language that they never knew. And they're able to help people find and follow Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How? Because the Holy Spirit's power was resting in them and on them. Immediately after that, there's this guy named Peter and he's going to this temple to pray. And he sees this beggar and he's like, he's like, I, I would give you some, but I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks and everyone's astonished 
because God's power is now working through people. And Peter looks at him, he's like, what do you think's happening here? Like, do you think this happened because I'm godly or like because of my own power? He's like, no, no, no. This is the power of Jesus working through me that performed this miracle. And I'm just telling you today, my prayer for you is that you would experience God's power. But I'm also praying that you would be carriers of God's power. Because his power is promised to rest in you and on you and move through you. And my prayer is that you become men and women who whenever you, you, you hear a need, here's what's happening. I'm sick physically or here's what's happening in the broken relationship that, you, that the power of God would well up inside you. You pray for them and you see them healed. You see them set free because that's the life of Christianity. That's what the Bible promises. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If you're taking some extra notes, you might write this word next to experiencing power, and that's this word, desperation. It seems like God's power moves in the lives of those who are most desperate for him, whose lives are utterly dependent on, on him. Uh, I've been reading some books with uh, my, my son this summer, and one of the books that I read with my oldest is, um, is uh, Five Habits of an Effective Teenager. And uh, Covey, I love his books, uh, but this is one for teenagers. I'd never read it before, but I, I finished it last week. And, and I, I saw this piece that, that, that I want to share with you. And it's a story about Socrates. And I, I hope it's actually a fable, but, but here's what took place. This, this young man, he comes to this wise man, Socrates. And he says this, he says, says I want to know everything you know. And Socrates says, if this is your desire, then follow me to the river. So the young man follows Socrates down to the river. And he tells the young man, peer into the, the river and let me know what, what do you see. So the man, he's, he's looking and he's like, I don't see anything. Socrates says, no, you got to look, look closer. So the man, he gets, he gets a little closer and he's looking into the river. He's like, I, I don't see anything. And Socrates says, no, 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 look, look even closer. And he gets really close. And in that moment, Socrates grabs the back of his neck and plunges his head under the water. And, and, and the guy's like flailing, like, let me up, let me up. And, and Socrates' grip is on him. He's just holding his head under the water. And, and about the time this man is about to drown, Socrates, he, he raises him up. And he's just like, you're a crazy man. Like, what, what are you, you trying to kill me? And Socrates is like, when your head was under the water, what did you want more than anything? And the man was like, I, I, wanted, I wanted to breathe. Like, I, I wanted air. What do you think I wanted? And Socrates said this. He says, don't ever make the mistake of thinking wisdom comes so easily, my young friend. Socrates says, when you want to learn so badly, as badly as you wanted air just now, then come see me again. And I think the corollary for us I think God's power moves in similar situations where people are so desperate for him. That God, I need you to move in my life more than my next breath. God, if you don't show up, we're done. That was the early church. God, if your power doesn't rest on us, then this whole thing's gonna go, go sideways. God, you've entrusted us with the keys to the kingdom, but God, if you don't move through us, we're hopeless because in my own power, in my own strength, I can't do this. I need you more than my next breath. God, would you move in me? In moments of desperation, 
God's power flows. Not only does God's power move through the miraculous, and I'm thankful for the miraculous. Like, I've had seasons when, like, physically I, I experience God's healing. I know God's power still moves in that way, and I'm thankful for that. And I, my prayer is that you, that we, the central family, would experience God's power moving in that way. But perhaps more importantly than that, God's power moves through forgiveness. Because no one can forgive sin and shame and guilt and remove it from your life except for God. But when you commit your life to him, as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sin and our shame from us. And aren't you thankful for that? But not only that, people experience God's power when forgiven people choose to forgive. When forgiven people choose to forgive, God's power is on display. I loved hearing Troy's story last week. And and if you missed it, man, you just got to go back and watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Like, you just got to watch it. But Troy's story is that, that because of his poor choices, his best friend lost his life. And when Troy met this guy's mom for the first time, God's power was on display. As this guy who was responsible for, for ultimately murdering her son, her first words to him was, I love you and I forgive you. God's power at work in that situation to offer forgiveness where judgment was just, changed his life. Only God's power working in someone's life could respond to such a hellish situation with, with such heavenly, heavenly grace. So I just ask you, man, let's pray. Let's pray as a church. Let, let's not just know that God is powerful, but let's be people that ask God, we want to experience your power because there's a vast difference. You can know God's powerful, but I'm asking you, have you experienced his power? And, and not just live on yesterday's miracles. Let's encounter his power afresh today. I got to move quick. Secondly, uh, so we want to be people who, who encounter his power. But that, the, next to that, we got to be people of desperation. We're desperate to see you move. Secondly, let's be people who experience his presence. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is alive. You can experience his presence today. I want to invite you to be people that pray to experience his presence more than ever. Man, I'm, I'm getting old, uh, friends. I'm getting old. I turned 40. I turned 40 this week. Uh, and, and from time to time, I have some younger pastors call me to ask about ministry and, and about how, how living out leadership and, and this Christian life and in church work and church ministry. And, and I always tell them, man, like, do everything you can. You know, like, leverage all the resources you have. Like, build a healthy team. Like, like you got to set a clear vision and mission and values and lights are great and sound systems are awesome and, and church environment's important. But, but beyond all that, if you get all that dialed in and, and you don't have the presence of God, you miss it. You miss it. All the time I tell them there is no substitute for the presence of God. And, and that's true in your life too. That's not just true in in church work, that's true in your business, that's true in your family, that's true in your marriage, that's true in your parenting, that's true, that's true in every sphere of your life. If you, you don't, there's no substitute for the presence of God in your life. I love this quote from, from Moses, in Exodus 33, 15. Uh, Moses, he's getting ready to leave and, and God's like, you go, like I'm not, I'm done with you guys. And here's what Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. I often pray that prayer and I'm sitting down there and before I come on stage, Jesus, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. Listen, before you go on that date, 
pray that Jesus, if you, I, want you, I want to be a person of your presence. Before I go, I want your presence on my life. Before I go into that meeting, God, I need your presence. Before I drive home, I need your presence. When I wake up in the morning, Jesus, I need your presence. God, I need, I need your presence more than anything else. And you might write this, this word next to that fill in the blank, and that is this word worship. Because nothing enters us, ushers us into the presence of God like worship. Every week, we, we kind of huddle up before our, our worship uh, practice, and, and I just try to remind the team, like, hey, you know what? Your guitar string might break. The words on the screen might be out of order. Uh, lights might not work properly. Like, I'll probably be down there clapping way off beat because I'm ryth- rhythmically challenged. Like, I, that, a lot of things could go wrong. But d- make sure you get this right. Let's usher people in the presence of Jesus. Because more than encounter with us, let's allow them to encounter the divine. We need his presence in our life. And worship is how you encounter this. So in the morning, worship. As you're doing dishes, put on some worship music and worship. Let's be people who carry and experience his presence. The third is experience his peace. Because Jesus is God and because Jesus is alive, you can experience his power, you can experience his presence, and you can experience his peace. Next to this, you might write the word prayer. If we're going to be people who experience his peace, we need to be people who practice prayer because there's nothing like the peace of God in our lives. And again, I want to invite you to pray for this over your life and over the life of our church. God, may we be people who carry and experience your peace. Jesus never promised that everything would be well, that we'd follow him and everything would be happy and clappy. Matter of fact, he promised the opposite. He said, if you follow me, like in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Like I've, I've overcome the world. And, and while he promised that there would be problems, he also promised in the midst of problems, you could experience his peace. John 14, he says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. So check this out. So don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. Why would he say that? Because they are facing troubles and they're probably feeling afraid. But in the midst of troubles, in the midst of fear, you can still experience his peace. It's available to you today. And my prayer is you'd experience it. Like a lot of you, my, my family's experienced a lot of highs and lows, and, and this season's just honestly been particularly difficult as we wrestle with um, the health of, of my mother-in-law, uh, who I love, and just been a part of our life, and so, such a pillar, really, in our family, and, you know, we're, we're desperately praying, God, would you heal her? And uh, we, we know God's able to. It's difficult thousands of miles away and not being able to be present there. We're praying for a healing, but, but we also know that God, even if you choose to heal her in a way that we're not willing to accept, thank you for your peace. And in this season, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I know God's ministering his peace to our family, and I'm so thankful for that. It's in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, where Paul writes this. He says, says, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
You tell God what you need. And then you thank him for all he's done. And when you do that, then you'll experience God's peace. And this is my prayer. I pray you'd experience his peace. His peace which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So no matter what kind of season you're in, let's just be people of prayer. And in doing so, we'll be people who choose to live in the peace, the shalom, the the peace of God. Let's be people who not only experience his peace, but in the midst of hectic situations, our presence ushers in his peace. And finally, my prayer is that you'd experience his salvation. That you'd experience salvation. And I think that the key to this is this one word, surrender. The key to experiencing the salvation and being carriers of salvation is living from this posture that says, Jesus, you're God. And because you're God, you got authority. And I'm just coming under your authority. So God, whatever you have for me, Jesus, whatever you want from my life, here I am. This isn't a one-time decision. This is a lifetime commitment to live with an open-handed posture that says, God, my life is yours. And when we do, we experience his salvation. And we become carriers of his salvation to a broken world that desperately needs him. I love this verse. In Romans 10, 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth, listen, if you want to experience the salvation of God today, here's how it begins. This is what the Bible says. I'm not making this stuff up. You can confess with your mouth. Jesus, like you're God, like the evidence is out. You're not just a man. You're not just a good teacher. You're not a liar. You're not a lunatic. I'm saying, I'm saying you're the Lord. And because you're the Lord, I'm coming under your authority. I'm gonna make you the Lord of my life. Jesus, if you say this, you confess with your mouth because you believe it, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he didn't end on a cross, but he rose again. He, he, God raised him from the dead. You can experience his salvation. You'll be saved. That can happen today, and I pray you experience it. That's, that's my prayer. I pray you experience his power because God's power will mark your life. You'll never be the same. But not only do I pray you experience it, I pray you be carriers of his power and you go out and revolutionize this world because God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit resides in you. You're carriers of his presence. And that you'd experience his presence on a daily basis as you worship him. And that, that, that his presence would saturate your life. And you filter every situation with him in his presence through worship. And all you'd experience his presence, you'd be carriers of his presence, that you'd experience his peace, his peace that passes understanding, that you'd you'd not only experience his peace, but you would be carriers of his peace, and that you'd experience his salvation and be carriers of his salvation because Jesus is is God. Let's pray. Well, God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your radical grace. It's marked my life. It's changed my life. And God, I pray for, for all of us here that we would experience your power. We live in your presence, that we'd be experiencing and carrying your peace. And that, God, we would be carrying and experiencing your salvation. Now, Jesus, I pray for everyone who doesn't know you, that hasn't experienced you, that, God, today would be their day. As you continue to pray, head bowed, eyes closed, maybe you're here and you say, you know what, you're watching this online and you say, I, I haven't experienced this salvation, but I want to. Then I would just invite you to pray a prayer to God with me like this. Say, God, 
I confess that I've made mistakes. I understand you have standards and I've blown them. Matter of fact, I've blown my own standards. I realize that sin, I've missed the mark. But God, I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And God, I believe you rose again. So God, I, I confess that with my mouth today and I'm asking you to come into my life. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would flood my heart, my mind even now. And today, God, I, I commit to live life according to your word as I come under your authority because Jesus, you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.